First Peter chapter two, and we're continue, we're going to continue our study there in First Peter two, and we're going to read verses eleven and twelve. I want to read this, and then we're going to turn back to the Old Testament to Exodus in just a moment and read a scripture there. First Peter chapter two, eleven and twelve says, "Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims." That's the second time already in this epistle that he's addressed the believers as pilgrims. Okay, strangers and pilgrims. And here specifically, he's admonishing the, the believers, and that would be us as well. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Having your conversation or your lifestyle or your walk with the Lord, your behavior honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We're going, to, we're going to talk about these two Scriptures and specifically that first one about the, the, lust, the fleshly lust that war against our soul. Now, so much of this epistle up till now has dealt with a lot of doctrinal things. In the first couple of verses of the whole epistle, he talks about elect according to the foreknowledge of God for the sprinkling of the blood. We're saved by uh, this incorruptible Word of God. There was a lot of what you would call doctrinal, this basic teachings that are there. Uh, even the rapture was highlighted. Suffering for Christ's sake and account all joy back in chapter 1. He's moving a little bit more uh, into practical application. And the Bible is very practical. You'll hear people say the Bible's not relevant. Or we, you know, some church thinks they've got to come with, up with this philosophy to make God somehow relevant to the age in which we're living. Or the sermon has to be relevant. God is relevant. Amen? He's already relevant. His Word is relevant. It's practical. It's, it's doctrinal and practical at the same time. And so God's already relevant. We don't have to come up with something to try to make it more appealing or somehow fit the day in which we're living. It's, man, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. People are sinners and need a Savior. And then God loves us and He wants us to have a walk with Him. And He tells us how to walk through life. Keeping our eyes on Jesus and walking with the Lord by faith. Uh, as recipients of His grace and mercy, and so forth. And this is an uh, admonition here in the Bible. It's very practical, because if we just look at doctrine and it doesn't apply to our life, it's really not doing us a lot of good. If we just look at maybe um, you know, how we act and never, never study doctrine, then we're going to be kind of be lost and confused and not really know why we're doing what we're doing. Well, it, it all goes together. And so I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. Keep your spot in 1 Peter and turn to Exodus 17. Exodus 17. And what reminded me of this is when Chris and Jenna taught Sunday school just a, a few weeks ago, I believe that was in y'all's lesson, you were talking about the uh, Malachites. You have to remember what's just happened. Israel, whole congregations just come out of slavery. They're not like prepared for battle. They got their little kids with them. We've, we've kind of given this description before, as the Bible does. They've got their children with them. They're hauling their stuff with them. They're, they're pilgrims. They're wandering. Okay, They're coming from one place, headed to the promised land. And the Amalekites basically ambush them out there in the wilderness. Okay, And God's going to take care of His people. And He does. But I want you to see something. Alright, 17 verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill 
with the rod of God in my hand. And that rod just represented the power of God. It represented a dependency upon God, the miracles of God. He had already used it in, uh, before Pharaoh and to do the different signs and miracles and turn the water to blood. He, the Lord called him to hold it out and part the Red Sea. And it represented God's deliverance and a presence of the Lord in their midst. He says, I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur, that's Aaron's brother, went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek, and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and called, it, called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, as the Lord our banner. For he said, Because the Lord had sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to, to generation. Uh, this was actually... Uh, fulfilled as far as wiping out the Amaleks eventually down the road. Uh, but the point I want to make from this, going back, you can turn back in your Bibles to 1 Peter, especially uh, chapter 2, verse 11, that there are fleshly lusts that war against our soul. They're going to come against us. And in that story we read about the Amalekites, the Lord says, I want you to write this in a book. And I want you to know that we're, we're going to utterly put out the remembrance, basically, of the Amalekites. You've got to utterly put them out. You have to completely put them out. It was, I'm pretty sure, when the Lord spoke to, uh, to Saul, and he's King Saul, and he says, I want you to go fight against the Amalekites, and I want you to you know, wipe them out. Don't don't spare their cattle. Don't take spoil their goods. Sometimes he would allow the children of Israel to spoil their goods and to keep their stuff. But this was not one of those times. This was years and years later. He says, "I don't want you to wipe them out." God had given them. I, I don't forgot the length, the period of time, maybe 430 years. There was a space of time to repent, and they they did not repent. And God dealt with them. He fulfilled that prophecy. But. Um, Saul did not do what he was supposed to do. Saul didn't utterly put him out. He, he won the battle. He won the, the war. He captured the king. But he, sh he saved the best of the sheep and the goats and everything for the people and for himself. And he made excuses as to why he did it. But whatever the excuse was, he didn't fulfill what the Lord had called him to do. And Samuel the priest had to come after the battle's over and basically with the the zeal of the Lord. I imagine this would have been very hard when I try to picture it. The war's over. Like the battle's over. People have calmed down a little bit. And now they're having discussions. And he comes up and he finds the king still alive. The king of the Malachites. And Samuel the priest has to get a sword and, and kill him right there. It's one thing if you're in the heat of battle but just to walk up. and. But it was for the Lord. It, was, it represented fulfilling what God had called him to do. And so relating that to tonight's message, there are fleshly lusts that war against our soul. And the Bible says we have to abstain from them. The Bible says we've got to put them out. There's not a place we can give them. You can't leave some of them behind. 
there'll be the downfall of any of us. Okay? And so that's basically what we're talking about tonight. And this is very practical. But fleshly lust, y'all are basically basically this. There are uh, lust lust is an inordinate desire. Okay? Inordinate desire. And a fleshly lust would specifically be something that has to do with a lust that finds its gratification in the physical, okay? And I'll just give an example. It could be overeating. Eating is okay. I mean, we're supposed to eat. We need to eat. God knows we need to eat. He provides. Give us this day our daily bread. Nothing uh, wrong about eating. We can't have a, a lust for food. We can't have a lust for sleep. You know, we can have a lust for uh, leisure. Anything that would... Uh, and, Anything that would find its gratification in the flesh. And they're not always sinful, but we can make them sinful when it becomes a lust. And then we fulfill it in a way that God has not desired or directed through His Word. In other words, we fulfill it unlawfully. And I'll give a perfect example. To me, it's a perfect example. Because a lot of times we think of lust, we think of something sexual, and it does include that. But it's not limited to that. Okay, Jesus on the when he was being tempted in the wilderness, uh, it's the Bible says. Remember, he had an earthly, physical body like ours. He was the Son of God, but he still was the Son of Man as well. His body was like our body, except he wasn't didn't have the sinful nature of Adam. But he was hungry. He literally fasted forty days and forty nights on the on in the wilderness. Afterwards, he was hungry. The Bible tells us that. We all know the story. The first temptation, when Satan comes to tempt him, and this was part of the Lord, our Lord's suffering and part of His preparation to, to then go from there and carry out His ministry, the public ministry for three years and die on the cross and so forth. But the first temptation was, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. Well, you see the thing is, there's nothing that we would consider real immoral or anything like that or dirty you know about it but yet it would have been fulfilling a genuine desire and even a need fulfilling it in an unlawful manner why would it be unlawful because he says i only do the things i see my father doing i only say the things i hear my father say his father didn't tell him to turn those stones to bread you understand what i'm saying he had been fasting now the fast was coming to an end and by faith, he knew that. And after the three temptations, the devil left him for a season and angels came and ministered to him. And I believe all those things were met. They were met lawfully. They were, they were met wonderfully. They were met by God. They were met the way they're supposed to be. It's just like if you're uh, in the Old Testament, we said Jacob, Jacob and Esau. And Esau comes back from a long hunting trip and he's hungry. I don't think he would have dropped dead there. He was hungry. Like we say, I'm starving to death. That's what I think he was like. You know, so he sold his birthright, which was represented the inheritance of God and represented something spiritual that should have been valued and cherished and not given up at any cost. He sold it for a bowl of soup. Okay, did he need to eat? Sure. Could he wait a little longer till he got home? Could he have fulfilled it some other way? Absolutely. Okay? Thus most thus Esau despised his birthright. Okay? And the Lord hated that about Esau. Okay? We're all sinners, but this was something where he, it was, uh, he counted what should have been very valuable. He counted it as nothing. Equal to, or less than equal to a bowl of soup. 
And so that's, that's the point we're talking about. Fleshly lusts are not just the big, bad, sinful things that we think of typically as being sinful. It's anything, too much desire for a good thing or any desire for a bad thing. I like the way you put that. Too much desire of a good thing and any desire of a bad thing. That would be a lust and their fleshly lust. And God has given us these instincts. There are things within our lives that we desire that He's put there. Like I said, that in and of themselves are not sinful. That's what we have to keep in mind. The things in and of themselves are not sinful. Always think back to that Jesus. You know, being tempted, it would have been a sin for Him for a couple of reasons. To turn that stone to bread. Because who's the one telling Him, first of all? Satan. He's not going to take orders from Satan. He doesn't have to prove anything to Satan and show, well, I'll show you I'm the Son of God. He doesn't get down that level. He was the Son of God. He knew it. He, you know what I'm saying? He knew who He was. He didn't have to do a trick for the devil, first of all. Second of all, He could wait on that provision from His Father, which was right on the heels of that. There was a, the trial and the temptation and the enduring that, and then came the blessing. And the angels came and ministered to Him. So just keep that in mind. Um, but if we have that, if we are, are unable to restrain our lust, then we need to be aware. Be careful. All of us have that, right? All of us have to be aware of that. But even if this moment sitting here, if you're aware in your own mind that I have a real trouble containing whatever it is, okay? Even as a Christian, it's not saying you're not born again. Saying too much desire of a good thing or any desire of a bad thing. And you, that, that lust is always going to be fighting against restraint. Always. So think about it just a second. It's always, you're always going to want to overeat. You understand what I'm saying? If there's this much cake, you're going to want that much. You're just, in your, you're just going to want it. It doesn't mean we, we've learned to control those things and praise God we have. But the, the point is, the, the lust of the flesh are always going to buck against restraint. If the alarm set at five, you're going to want to sleep till six or seven or eight. Always. Okay? And you understand what I mean when always. There's times that that might not be a struggle, but the flesh is always going to want to overindulge. Always. And that's if we keep living for Jesus and a holy life for the next 30 years. That will still be the case. The flesh wanting to do that. And that, that we're not to be mastered by that. We're not slaves to our bodies. Clinton, I mean, uh, Dave Hunt used to say we're not slaves to our brains. We don't have to think about whatever our brain tells us to think about. We don't have to do whatever our body tells us to do. We are governed by the Holy Ghost. And we ought to live that way. Now, God helps us. Praise God. But we're not helpless, hapless little creatures floating around. I couldn't help myself. I had to go shoot the guy. I was mad at him. You know? Anger. You know? Uh, anything can get out of control. Road rage. How many times have you wanted to do those thoughts that come to your mind with, with somebody in traffic? You know, we don't. Hallelujah. We don't fulfill those. We don't just go through with it and do it all the time. And so um, we have to be aware because they can. They, they're warring against our souls, is what what Peter said. All right. And so sometimes these fleshly lusts and just. We're just going to keep this thought tonight. Our whole message is going to pretty much be on these two scriptures, all right? But um, sometimes the, the lust of the flesh and how they war against you. War is war. It just means what, he, what it says it means. 
is warring against your soul. Those fleshly lusts are not trying to help you. They're not for your good. Okay, whether it's overeating, overindulging in sleep, overindulging in whatever it may be, uh, having nice things, and we got to be comfort and leisure, overdoing all that. They're not. Satan has no desire in helping you ultimately with that. They're warring against your soul. Okay, and sometimes it's an all-out frontal attack where it's just here it is, no secrets about it. Okay, those are not necessarily as effective for a believer, you know, as against a believer, let's put it that way. But there are times, you know that story about when the, the Greeks were trying to take Troy and they, they put the, the soldiers inside the horse? Instead of just being outside with their swords and spears and fire and bow and arrows and rocks and everything else and a frontal assault, they said, let's try something else. And they put soldiers in a huge wooden horse, right? And they said, oh, they left us a gift. Isn't this nice? They opened up the gates and they got right into the heart of the city where they were trying to get all along. And who let them in? Their enemy let them right in. And so we have to be careful. Sometimes it's a frontal attack. Sometimes it's a sneak attack. And, and we think this, this person or whatever it may look like is really trying to help us. We need to be spiritual. We need to know the Word of God. We need to know God. We need to walk with Him. We need to hear His voice and be led by His voice. He'll protect us from all these things, but they're still warring against the soul. They're, they want to attack you and they want to overcome you. They want to attack you and overcome you, to bring you down into the muck and the mire. And the most innocent looking thing, when it's a fleshly lust and overindulged or have fulfilled in some unlawful manner that God didn't give you or prescribe for you and I to have, it's going to uh, bring us down. Think about Samson. Samson's a good example. Had all the power a person could have. God blessed him with supernatural strength. He tore a lion, a full-grown lion, with his bare hands. Okay, there's no way you could do that. They're just God made him much more powerful than any human being. There's not even a contest. Okay, but he picked one up and rent it. He says like you, he would uh, twist a little baby lamb. You know, that's just not even probably able to walk yet and just snap it. He picked up a lion and snapped it like that. He killed a thousand Philistines with a a bone from a donkey. You know, he picked up the gates from a a city and tore them out of their settings where they were locked in and ripped them out, carried them over his head. I don't know that he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but God gave him this physical strength and he carried him outside of the city and threw him off the hill. How was he taken though? Doesn't mean he didn't go to heaven, okay? It means he let fleshly lust overcome him and it weakened that powerful man, powerful in God, okay? Think of it as a spiritual strength because it was. It weakened and conquered him and he spent the end of his days obeying the Philistines who he could easily have fought off had he kept his eyes on the Lord and resisted those temptations. But this big, strong person, strong in the Lord, uh, compromised and he fulfilled. God would have gratified those desires in his life and he could have done it the Lord's way. You know what I mean? But, but he did not. And so he ends up grinding away as a prisoner in the house of the Philistines and they're making sport of him. Now God did give him vengeance on his enemies in his death, but it's a good picture. It's kind of, it's almost pathetic, isn't it? 
it really is pathetic. He can take down these Philistines, he can do this and this, but he couldn't control his own lusts. And he was conquered by them. Alright? That's a sermon uh, for another day. But um, when anytime we're, we're tempted to yield, and even the thought of, let's say, well, I, I'm not doing those things, I'm just thinking about it all the time. And we entertain the thoughts of fleshly lust, that can have an effect on us too. Don't, don't think it can't. And it will because what we're doing is we're exposing ourselves, our minds and our thoughts. We're opening up some type of avenue that we could have and should have closed. All right? We're opening up some avenue um, and, and it's going to come against us. It, it's going to, there's no way it can come against us and we could think those things and certainly do some of these things and it not affect us. Don't think you did it and, and you did it this time and and you look around and nobody saw it and it looks like everything was good and I still love Jesus and everything's fine. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect me. It will conquer us. It won't only affect us, it will conquer us. I'm not saying we're losing our salvation or something like that, but it will overcome that spiritual strength and bring us down to a place we never, ever, ever imagined we would be. And it started with this little thing and it ended up there Okay, and God doesn't want us to end up there. Uh, no act of indulgence uh, is going to, to be harmless. It's not. Okay, it's going to have an effect. There's forgiveness. Praise God, because we've all sinned plenty of times since we've been saved. There's forgiveness. The sin is forgiven. It's washed away. It's put away. But there still can be a consequence from it. There still can be an effect upon our lives, especially when we yield to the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, the Bible talks in Hebrews about the deceitfulness of sin. And that is one, there's a lot of things we could say about sin, but one of the things is that it is deceitful. It does, it promises you one thing, and you know, at least I'm not doing these horrible things I used to do when I was lost in the world. I'm just going to indulge in a little bit of this right here. Okay? And there's a deceitfulness to it because sin is sin. It's missing the mark. And it's disobeying the Lord. And they cannot do that with no consequences. There'll be consequences to it. So, we know people, uh, we read about people in the Bible. We just read Samson. We might know people in our own lives. It might be some of us and God has helped us and turned it around because He can but where men of God, women of God, people of God have been mastered by those things and overcome, and it's been the downfall of them. Um, I just want to read this scripture. If you're taking notes, I'm going to quote it from Proverbs 16.32. And I always think about this scripture. Proverbs 16.32, Solomon said, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit, he's speaking about self-control here, is better than he that takes a city. In other words, Solomon got it. He understood. Look, this is real strength. This is real might. This is a real strong person. It's not the warrior who can go take a city. The person who can control and have self-control and control their own spirit from, uh, you know, like I said, road rage or killing somebody in the heat of anger or fulfilling some lustful desire in some way in the heat of the moment. Somebody that can control themselves is better than that. If you can't control your own self, and we know it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's self-control. It, it is possible. But uh, there is a tendency 
in all of us, even as saved people, because of this, we still have a sin nature. We're not dominated by it. And now we have the nature of Christ in us that was not present before we were born again. But do you understand we still have a fleshly nature? We still can sin, right? How many of you know we still can sin since we've been saved? How many know we still have sin since we've been saved? We don't have to. But so their tendency is still there. But it ought to become less and less uh, strong. It ought to become weakened as Christ becomes more and more. As our relationship with Him grows. As our maturity you know, in the Lord grows. And besides the fact that we have still have those tendencies that are warring against our souls and trying to war against our souls, getting us trying to lure us to sin, we also have given in at times. And the times we have given in, y'all, it, it's weakened us. It's kind of like a boxer that's been hit and he's still standing on his feet, but he, he didn't know it, but over a 12-round fight or something, all of those hits that he took over 12 rounds added up. And now you can almost you know, push him over. He would just fall down now because each of those blows took a toll on him. And you know, I was reading a little example in a book, but he says he had some just an athlete, all right? He took a piece of thread and wrapped his hands, just like the Samson story. A piece of thread, he could just pop that easily. But if he just repeatedly let somebody do thread, thread, thread around their hands, or, and he's just thinking it's a laugh, and that's just thread that's no big deal, he's going to find it's like a chain pretty soon, and he will not be able to get out of it when enough of it's put on top of each other and wrapped on him. And so what once would have been easy for him to get, if the first time it happened, he'd have just cut it off. Break it off. Go to the Lord. Be forgiven. Say, Lord, this snuck up on me here and I fell into it. I've sinned against You, God. I have no excuse. Forgive me. But I need to be aware of this. This threat. Okay? But when we don't, then it's put on repeatedly, repeatedly. And before we know it, we're subject to it. We actually become subservient to some kind of sin. That's why people in the world, y'all, now this is just lost people, they think you and I are so bound up and we can't have any fun because we're Christians, right? Christians can't have any fun. I'm free to go get drunk, they say, and I'm free to do this, and I'm free to be with whoever I want and say whatever I want and watch whatever I want and listen to whatever I want, think whatever I want, say whatever I want, and they're so free. They don't understand the Bible says very clearly whoever sins is a slave to sin. You think you're free, but you're bound up. We're free. I'm not free to sin. I'm free from sin. And if I subject myself to that, uh, even a little bit, Satan, you've heard it's the saying, give him an inch, he'll take a mile. That is absolutely true. It's not just a corny little saying. It's true. He'll take it, and he'll take another, and he'll take another, and he'll take another, and he'll take your marriage, and he'll take your children from you, and he'll take your, your home, and you'll find yourself wallowing in the mire of the pigs like the prodigal son and saying, how did I get here? I studied my Bible and I went to Sunday school. What happened? You know, we little leaven leavens the whole lump. We need to take it seriously. And it's not that we live in fear of this, but we need to be wise, okay? We need to understand what's going on. Repeated yieldings uh, to that are going to bring us under bondage. Now, it's important for us also to know that there, it is possible for us to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I want to tell you that it's possible. So you don't think that this is an impossible thing that 
Peter is telling us by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to abstain from. Why would He tell us that if we can't do it? We can do it. It is possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible doesn't just say Christ can do all things. The Bible says the believer can do all things through Christ, His power, His provision, not my own provision, okay, in my own power, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says there is no temptation taken you, but such that is common to man. 1 Corinthians 10.13 But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So you can never blame God and say, Lord, you let me. The temptation was just so great. Why didn't you help me out? It, this one just was over the top, God. This temptation was too much. And you understand, I, I had to sin. I had to, to do it. The temptation was just too great. No. And if we think that, then we'll use that all the time as an excuse to fall into. But we, th- what does thus saith the Lord? Thus saith the Lord just told us. We're tempted. All men are tempted. It's common to all men. This temptation. Lost men and saved men. There's temptations that come. But God will not allow you. He won't allow you to be tempted above that you're able. He does say He makes a way of escape. And if there was a fire, if this whole place was on fire and everything was shut down and that was the only escape, then that's the way we go, right? And so if God makes a way of an escape when we're tempted, that's the way we go. And we go when He tells us. Because if you wait five minutes longer, you're going to fall into the sin. So go where He tells you and go when He tells you. And guess what, y'all? The longer we walk with the Lord, we start getting wiser. We really walk with Him. To where we can even spot some of these things way down the road. You understand what I'm saying? Let's just say you're going to go to uh, some office Christmas party, okay? This ain't your first rodeo as a Christian. You're going there. You know what it's going to be like. I'm just totally making something up. You know um, the worldliness that's going to be there. You know yourself that you like to be liked and you like to fit in with people and you know that you have to watch it because you can start talking like they talk and laughing at their jokes that fast. And then you walk out of there, scratch your head and say, I was so determined to be a witness for Christ tonight and I laughed at their dirty joke. But we can see it coming far off now. A lot of it. To where we can be prepared and prayed up and we avoid certain things and we... We're ready, and when this person comes, I'm going to be ready. Or I'm not going to sit and talk with this person. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. So the longer we walk with the Lord, we need to get wiser and see some of that that Trojan horse a long way off before I let it into the heart of the city or let it into my heart, and then I'm trying to fight it when it's too late almost. Uh, Make some plans. Make some provisions. Always think about Daniel. He's a captive. He's a young man. A lot of Bible scholars think maybe 15 years old or so. His parents are killed. He's been taken captive from Judah. Uh, carried off to Babylon. But Babylon is the worst. Okay, As far as like the total opposite of walking with God would be Babylon. Every indulgence. Every idolatry. Every On top of that, his priest isn't going to be with him. His, his family's not going to... His parents aren't going to be with him. He's just going. It's almost like a fresh new start. He's going to go over there. And the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart. On the way there, I'm not going to defile myself with the things of Babylon. 
So he made a conscious choice before he got there. It would be that's a lot more effective than waiting to get to Babylon and all the bling blings right in your face and you're in and you're in a moment of weakness, say, and you just want a friend or you want to fit in or you want to, and all of a sudden you do this. Make some preparation. That's not foolish, that's wise. Okay? And so uh, we need to understand the times, being wise, knowing what the will of the Lord is. Daniel purposed in his heart. Now just that purpose by itself wouldn't wouldn't necessarily fix everything. He needed the Lord's strength day by day. But I think it went a long way. I think it went a long way when a young man makes the decision. Babylon's going to be like this. Jehovah's worth it. I'm going to live for Jehovah. They can kill me if they want to. They can do what they want. I'm not playing their game. I'm not going to do it. God's going to help me. And I'm going to walk with the Lord in the midst of Babylon. If I die there, I die there. Whatever happens. But I don't have to do it. I think that went a long way. And I think it would go a long way in all of our hearts. Amen? To, to purpose in our heart. And God is able to give us the deliverance. He makes a promise. He keeps His promise. He's able to bring us through. Amen? And so, there has to be that death. One of the things uh, along these lines about abstaining from fleshly lust, the war against the soul, is there has to be a death to ourselves. Okay? Now, there's the one sense when we came to Christ, we died. His death, our death, His resurrection life, our life. That is true. But then you understand that daily we're to take up our cross and follow the Lord. And I even think besides daily, there's almost like one big time in your life, even as a believer, where you say, you know what, God? I'm going on with You. I'm just going on with You, period. And I understand it's going to cost me something. I do believe there's a time. Yes, there's a daily dying. And there's we died with Christ at salvation. We didn't really, we're just coming to the Lord. But I think there's a time when each person has to stand on their own two feet and say, it's going to cost me something to live for the Lord. And you're making almost like a, an allegiance, a pronouncement for your future. I belong to the Lord. Not because my parents told me, not because anything else. Jesus is worth it. And I'm going to live for Him. And I'm going to die for Him. And nothing's going to sway me. Now, yes, we'll have to die daily. And yes, He'll have to help me daily. And He will. But I do believe there's a time in our life, even as a saved person, whether I can remember mine very clearly, and I've shared many times when I was at LSU my last semester, and I said, okay, Lord. He said, you're lukewarm, Randy. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I'd rather be hot or cold. Me sitting by myself in my apartment on Lee Drive out at LSU, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And I said, this is going to cost something. I was a Christian. I believe if I died, I'd go to heaven. I believe the death, burial, and resurrection. I believe I was sincere when I prayed that sinner's prayer. I believe it. But that was the Lord saying, you need to decide, young man. What are you going to do? Because this one foot in the world and one foot with me is not what I gave my son Jesus to purchase you. And there is a point where we make a conscious decision besides believing the Gospel, to say, I am wholly Thine. And we lay that life down, and it is not ours anymore. doesn't mean we'll be, never be tempted. doesn't mean we don't, don't have to die daily, and every time a temptation comes, we've got to resist it in the power of the Lord. But there is a time when that it's like a, a, a ship 
that sets its course. And there's a point in every life. And you can't do it for your children. You bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and you try to instruct them in the way that they should go, for example. But every life comes a point where they set the direction of that life and say, this life's going to be lived for God. Job said, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. I will maintain my integrity before Him. I'll see Him in the last day. I know my Savior lives. And I'm going to stand before Him. And even after worms eat this earthly body, I'm going to see Him face to face. He had made up His mind. He was not going to be turned. It wasn't a Sunday school lesson. It was a revelation of the Lord and a commitment on that man's part to lay it all before the Lord. And that comes at that point. I believe it's one big time in everybody's life. You know, just almost like a landmark decision. And so... God keeps us. Amen? God is able to keep us, but there has to be that dying. And we have to choose that. We have to choose to say, you know what? This is going to be tough. God will help me, but it is worth it. Decide right now, is it worth it? Like tonight, decide. Is it worth it to live for God all the way? Is it worth it to live for God no matter what it costs and how far to resist and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world and to live for the Lord? It is. And He helps us. He doesn't say, go do it. Hope you do well. He says, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the world. And it is His power and it's His might. And so um, we, we need to be preoccupied, occupied with Christ, preoccupied with Christ. And the more that we're occupied with the Lord, I promise you, this isn't just for some people, it's for any believer. The more we adore the Lord, and cherish the Lord and value our intimacy with the Lord and our fellowship with God, the more we are going to, the less those temptations are going to have a hold on us, the less appealing they'll be. They just don't mean anything anymore. When I surrendered my life to the Lord like that at LSU, I can tell you for a fact, a lot of the things that I used to indulge in, sinful things, I was a believer, but as simple things that I did participate in, bam, cut off, never once did them again from that day till now. They just went by the wayside that moment. Now other things I struggle with, like all of us have. But, you, but the God is able to give us that strength and that victory. And the more, you know, the more we, I say this all the time, and I believe it, I believe it's biblical, the more we give in to temptation, give in to it, the easier it will be to give in to it next time. I've already watched, I know I shouldn't watch that show, but man, I've already watched it 20 times. One more time's not going to hurt. You understand what I'm saying? One more time's not going to hurt. The more we do it, the easier it is to do it next time. The more we say no, even one time we just buck up against it, is in a good way. And so, you know what? I'm turning the darn thing off. Click, close the cabinet up walk into another part of the house. I'm going to pick up my Bible and start reading my Bible. The more we do that, the easier it will be to do that the next time. There is a, a responsibility on our part. The Bible says that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now there's a difference between just uh, living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. I believe there's a difference. Living in the Spirit, to me, would be anybody that's born again. They're in Christ. They have a spiritual life. They have a spiritual man. I have spiritual life now. I'm living in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit to me would be that conscious daily praying, reading my Bible, listening to the voice of my Savior as I go through my day, 
hearing what he's saying to me, heeding what he says to me. Randy, look out here. It's a little trap. Be careful. When you get here, here's what I want you to say to this person. I want you to avoid this over here and actually doing what God tells me to do. To me, that's walking in the Spirit. Among other things. You could expand on that. But the, the living in the Spirit, I believe every believer is born of the Spirit and lives in the Spirit. Okay, and can hear God and talk to God at any time and is born of His Spirit. But walking in the Spirit is going to be a conscious lifestyle that I'm choosing to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. Because both of those are out there before me. Even as a believer. Okay? And if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Cannot. They don't mingle. They don't intermix. Alright? Spiritual, carnal, sinful. There's no overlapping. Well, there's this little gray area right here. Not in God's eyes and not in reality. In our minds, Christians try to make a gray area where they can fit in both, but it's not really there. That's what I did for about six or seven years of my life. I'm not proud of it, but I tried it, and I can promise you it's not there. There is not a gray area. We have to choose death. We have to choose the Lord, and He will give us the strength. And I love like what one man said. He says... Uh, Our deliverance from the power of fleshly lust is in the precise measure in which we have embraced that idea of separation from them. In other words, to the degree that you desire to and strive to abstain, that's going to be to the degree you find the victory. If I'm half-hearted about it, I'm going to have probably not a whole lot of success in abstaining from fleshly lust. It has to be a real effort. And again, we can, we can shut the front door and say, okay, I've got all the, the sinful things blocked off and the TV's shut and you know, off or whatever and, and I've got it all blocked out. But if we don't do it all the way, we might leave some back door open. Okay? Where there's the smallest little thread that still connects you to that thing. It all has to be cut off. For me, the last thing I had to cut was friends. Not that they were evil and wicked. They were just lost. And I idolized them too much. My position among my... I went to school from 7th grade through high school, through same fraternity at LSU, the whole bit. We were just like this. We did everything together. We were more like brothers than friends. And that was the last string I had to cut. So I could cut off all this other stuff, but if I left that little rope attached, it was going to be the downfall of me. And that's what the Lord told me. And He said, do it. Decide what you're going to do. I decided. Now do it. And the test came the very next morning. I've shared this before when my best friend, who, praise God, I've got to lead to the Lord since then, and is a Christian now, my absolute best friend, funniest guy in the world, we had so much fun together, picks me up in his car to bring me to class at LSU. And, uh, and he said, Randy, i got to tell you this joke. Well, I knew the kind of jokes that he would tell because they're the same kind I would have told 24 hours before. And here's my first test. Just the day before, I said, Lord, I'm coming with You. And here's my very first test with my very best friend on the planet. And I just had to rely on the Lord for strength. And this was new for me. In my whole life, I had never done this. To actually stand up and say something about the Lord. And I said, Mike, uh, is this going to be a dirty joke? He said, yeah. I said, I can't, I can't listen to it. 
blah, 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 you know, stumbled all over my words. I don't know what I said. Gave my life to Jesus. I don't know. You know, and uh, you could have heard the crickets chirp. And we, didn't, we didn't say two words the rest of the way to LSU. And honestly, from that day forward, our lives went like this. And you know what? That's what God wanted them to do. Because he was over there working on my friend. But he had something he had to do in my life. And he had to get me on to where I needed to be. And in order to get me to where I needed to be, that had, there had to be a separation. And God brought a separation, clean as a knife, just real sharp and real complete. And it was, that was it. That was it. Have I sinned since then? Plenty of times. But I can tell you what, I'm not what I was in the sense of my commitment to the Lord and making up my mind and living for God and let's do this thing. If we're going to do it, let's do it. Let's live for God. Okay? Live for God. It's going to cost you something. Alright, I get that. It's going to cost something. I'll need help. God says I'll help you. And we, we do it. And I know I've shared it as well, but a 20 year reunion, D and I, I'm like, I know, I don't want to go to the big Friday night bash they're going to have at my 20 year high school reunion. But they got some family day the next day on Saturday. Maybe that'll be a little more low key. But I said, let's go. I want to do it specifically to be a witness. It's the only reason. Don't want to catch up on old time's sake and all, all that kind of stuff. And we get there, and if this isn't just the Lord, this is 20 years after high school. And one of my friends in that close circle of friends says, Randy, I heard you're a pastor now. I heard you're a preacher now. Yep. I want to know if you'd come teach us a Bible study every week. Sure. <laughs> you know? It's like, if the Lord, who would the Lord could do that? And, and started teaching a Bible study at 6.30 or at one of their houses, and uh, all very successful in business and everything like that, and got to lead several of them, including that that uh, good friend of mine to the Lord. And we, we got together not too many months ago and had lunch. And uh, anyway, there has to be that. There has to be a determination, but there also has to be the, the strength from the Lord to do it. And He'll always help. He'll always do His part. He knows it's beyond us, y'all. And so I'm just going to be uh, wrapping this up. One of the motives, if you've still got your, your place in First Peter, he says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Okay? As strangers and pilgrims. That's one of our reasons or one of our motives that keeps us from indulging in the world. A worldling. Okay, we'll call a worldling. Just a lost person. They're just happy as can be in the world. They just fit in perfectly. The world moves off this way and starts... Culture starts moving that way. They're fine. They just float right along with it. No problems, okay? Um, They're just happy in every environment. But if you're a stranger and a pilgrim, you're on your way home. You're a traveler. You're moving. This is not your home. I'm a stranger here. They're perfectly at home here. People in the world. A lot of Christians are this way as well. That they're perfectly at home and they just can pull over to the side here and, hey, what's going over here? I'm going to try that. And they just get into whatever's going on over here. No problems at all. But a traveler is going someplace. We're moving. We're running a race that's set before us, it says in Hebrews. Paul says, I finished my course. I fought the good fight. And so he was doing something. He was moving on. The worldlings are just happy as can be in the world. Don't see anything else. They're blinded. 
to anything else. But a stranger and a pilgrim, this is not my home. I'm not staying here. I'm not going to get tied down here because one of these things, when I turn aside for a little bit to see what's going over here and nobody's looking, maybe I'll just try it. It looks harmless. It's going to ensnare you. It's going to trap you. And the stranger and pilgrim, though, is moving on. You don't have time to be slow down long enough to be trapped. Only, only thing I'm doing with this world is trying to bring people to heaven with me. That's what I should be doing. Okay? And what you and I should be doing. And so... Uh, Lot's wife, even when God was bringing them out of Sodom and, and, and all that sin, they didn't partic- participate in those sins, but even when God was bringing them out and destroying behind, behind them, raining down the fire and brimstone, He had given them command not to look back. And she did. She was still enticed. She was still had a, an allurement. Don't look back. And she did. She turned to a pillar of salt. And, and that's just a good description. A stranger and pilgrim is moving on. We got a much better home, a much better promise, and this is not it. Don't ease into the things in the world. Just let me try it out for a while. It will, not it might, it will ensnare you. Can God get you out? Absolutely. But the point is it will ensnare you and it will bring damage to your soul. It wars against your soul. You'll find that it costs you a lot more than you thought it would. It costs you a lot more than you thought it would. And the last scripture that we didn't really talk about much, and I'm going to put in context of what we did, and he talks about that uh, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Honest means fair or good or lovely or beautiful in that sense. That our conversation means our lifestyle. And our lifestyle as believers among, I guess you'd say openly in the world, the people that you know from day to day and come in contact with, how you do at work, how you do in private, how you do in public, how you do anywhere. That lifestyle needs to be such that they can't bring any accusation against you that sticks. That's the way I put it. You can be accused of all kinds of things. You know, the early church in the Roman Empire, they were accused of horrible things that they drank blood. The, the, the Romans actually accused them of this. They made up lies that they drink blood with their sacrifices. They did this and that. And in the name of those things are because of they were accused of those things. They were persecuted beyond measure. A lot of things that were lied about them that they didn't do. We're all going to have that. But my point about this, and I think the, the, the Word of God's point about this, is don't let them be able to bring any accusation against your character, your lifestyle, your actions that are true that would be ungodly. You understand what I'm saying? They're going to make up lies. We all know about that. Uh, having lies told about us that are the most horrible things that you would never imagine and you're totally innocent of. But don't let any of it be true. Have your conversation among the Gentiles, I think he's speaking about among lost people, honest, fair, lovely, beautiful, to where in the end, they might not want to admit it, but they're going to scratch their heads and they're going to think to themselves, hey, you know, they really there is really something about Eric Cheney. There really is something. He talks about Jesus and I don't like to believe all that stuff, but there is something about that man that's different in a godly way. I think maybe he's on to something. You know, it's almost like they can see that and glorify the Lord. But uh, I just think that that's very important. And so we have to consider we do have an influence on the world. We're supposed to. might not be as much as what we want it to be, but we do have an influence on the world. The Bible says we're soft and light. 
And we are to be that. But if I'm living like they are, or even partly like they are, in their sin and indulgence of fleshly lust, then I've lost it. Because I mean, I've lost my salvation. I've lost that influence for good, for God. And people do it. People do lose that. You know that. They lose their testimony, in a sense, openly and publicly. And they have to go back and meet with the Lord. The Lord can forgive them. And over time, God can restore it all. So I thank the Lord there's always hope with Him. But it does cost us something. And, and I'd be lying if I if it said we didn't. But uh, if it didn't, don't let there be any truth to it. Y'all, I just want to pretty much close with that. There's such a call to, uh, to holiness in the Bible. There's a call to that uh, separation. If you know, you know, sometimes when we talk about it, people look at a setting sin as being something that's so... Uh, like beyond them. The setting sin is so bad I can't fight it and it's just something I have to bear in my life. It's worn against your soul. Don't put it on a pedestal. Don't make your besetting sin your idol and say, I guess I just have to live with it. The same blood of Jesus can forgive us. The same Holy Ghost can set us free from it. The same dying to myself and living unto God and determining to do so is going to break from that. There's not a special remedy for a besetting sin. It's just a sin that we're most prone to. That's all it is. It's just a sin that we're more likely to commit because we like it more or we're weaker in that area. So I understand besetting sin is real. It's a sin that besets us. But it's only because we're more bent to it. So we need a heart surgery. We need God to work on our hearts. There's not a special formula for it. Go to the Lord. Okay, call upon him, fight against it, make a resolve. I think one of the things I got from this study, and I'm closing, is that God wants us to almost rise up with a real hatred against it. I know I've gone kind of long tonight, I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, a real defiance against it that I think a lot of times we don't have. We're just kind of comfortable with it. God knows I'm not perfect. So we could commit the sin again. Well, God, He knows I've got a problem with my temper. Yeah, He does know it. He also knows the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. When are you going to get a hold of it? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you said you're going to bear much fruit. That would include self-control, right? And so there needs to be a stepping up on my part to deal with that thing. And I actually get mad at it. Where I'm not going to keep doing this. We do it. We yield to it. We repent, we confess, we kick ourselves up and down, we're mad at ourselves, we did it again for the thousandth time. But we never get mad enough to really quit. We never get mad enough to really go before the Lord and, and, and die to that thing. And that's where the Lord's wanting us to get to. And y'all, if He can't do it, nobody can. But He can. It involves willpower. It's more than willpower. But I want you to stand tonight. And I know this is kind of a, just a sermon more than a Bible study tonight. But God is great. He does not allow us to be tempted above we're able. And so He makes a way of escape. When we behold Jesus in the light of His glory and His beauty, then the, the things of this world and the temptations of the world will begin to lose their attraction. And that is real victory, y'all. Where the Satan could dangle at something right in front of you and we don't even want it anymore. You can dangle it all day. It means nothing to me. I've got Jesus. When we get to the point where more, and it's increasing, it's incrementally, where the Lord is more and more, those things will have less and less appeal to us. 
And that needs to be a prayer. That has to be something, a heart. That's heart work that God can do and only God can do, but He can. And so I just want to uh, encourage you tonight. Steve begins to play. We begin to pray. I, I know I went long tonight. But allow the Lord to, uh, just for a few minutes, just confess it to the Lord. Confess your great need for Him. Ask Him to give you a real disdain and a real distaste for the sins that you commit frequently. So Lord, help us to realize that we are strangers and pilgrims. This is not our home. Don't let us live like this world is our home. Heaven is going to be our home. And I thank You for that, Lord. And so God, we just come before You. And Lord, we lay our, feet, our lives at the feet of Jesus. And if anybody in this room, God, has not made that conscious choice to say, that's it, Lord. I'm giving my life fully to You. I'm surrendering everything to You. I want to be holy or completely Thine, O oh God. Then I pray tonight would be that night. This world has nothing to offer us. It has nothing to offer the believer. You have everything for us. And God, we love You. We thank You for the strength that You give us. We thank You for Your mercy and forgiveness and Your blood that washes us clean. If we sin 10,000 times, You'll forgive us 10,000 times and make us white and clean as snow every single time if we genuinely turn, confess. But Lord, wouldn't it be so much better if we didn't sin that same sin 10,000 times? If we walked up rightly before You as a testimony to the world and, in, and for Your glory, showing how God can not only save a sinner, but He can keep a sinner free and unspotted from the world. Forgive me and help me, God. And help us, Lord. Help us to look at it as a good thing, as an exciting thing to live separated unto You, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank You.